Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. everybody and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I am back in the host seat after a week away last week. Thanks Ewan Burns for filling in for me there and Ewan you're back in your usual spot this weekend to talk about round 30 of Serie A. How are you keeping? Okay, not for this spot. I can just listen (laughs) and occasionally chime in. (laughs) You don't have as much to do when you take that spot do you? Yep. Although I just stop thinking for periods of time. <laughs> that said, even when you were the host, I still had to do a lot of the clean-up work afterwards, <laughs> which I, I very much appreciated. But it no, all fell thank apart you. at the end. <laughs> it did all fall apart at the end. Let's hope for a bit more fortune this week. We're also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, hello. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, yeah, obviously happy for footballing reasons, but... Uh... Yeah, as someone who's not an EU citizen, I'm going through all the little fine prints and details on how to get into Italy and try and stay in the country on a permanent basis. So, yeah, um, if you're fortunate to have parents that didn't become citizens of the new country before you were born, be grateful that you can have dual citizenship. For me, it's a bit harder than most other people will be telling here to teach. And if you're fortunate enough to to live in an EU country and not vote yourself out of it, right, Ewan? Yes, well, as a man who's too <laughs> young so... during the vote, <laughs> even more salty than the average person about that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't I even get bet. a say. <laughs> I can bet. Uh, we are without Kev Pugzelski this week because he, he appears to be becoming a part-time potter over the last couple of months, unfortunately, listeners. So we miss him as much as you guys do, although maybe even more so. You (laughs) said that, you, and I very much didn't. I might say that personally to him on WhatsApp, (laughs) but I wouldn't wouldn't run him through that publicly, to be honest. But Vizo, you want to stick the knife in on Kev as well, do you? Oh, I'm just saying that, you know, um, if he was doing a La Liga podcast, I'm sure he'd have a little kit segment (laughs) about the latest uh, Classico game yeah. so i think he would have a few rants about that uh you and i were just talking about that moaning off air as well so it is probably a blessing that kev's a not here and b not <laughs> watching la liga all that often so we are here to talk about Serie A. round 30 was a decent one there's been more changes at the top and at the bottom and basically everywhere in between it started on friday night with sassuolo beating spezia 4-1 domenico baradi getting his 99th and 100th Serie A goals in that one, and Genoa beat Torino. They finally won a game. You and we were we were dead on with our less than two point five goals though in the preview. So I'm pleased enough with that. On Saturday, Napoli beat Udinese two one to temporarily go a level on points with leaders Milan. Inter drew one one at home to Fiorentina to lose ground on the top two, and Milan then won at Cagliari later that evening to pull three points clear of Napoli and six ahead of Champions Inter, although the Nets do still have a game in hand. 
Sunday's action kicked off in Venice. Sampdoria won 2-0 away to Venezia, giving them a little bit of comfort in their fight against relegation. Juve beat Salernitana 2-0. Empoli Verona was 1-1. Roma hammered Lazio 3-0 in the Derby della Capitale. And Atalanta, thanks to an 18-year-old debutante, got a 1-0 win away at Bologna. Now, when the Rome Derby happens, it's hard to not start there. But just before we do, a reminder to all of our listeners to head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football, where you can sign up Support the podcast and the website for two, five, or ten euro a month and avail of all of the things we have on offer there. Roma Lazio. Roma Lazio. What a game this was, Ewan. We previewed it on the preview pod. We went big on Tammy Abraham and Shiro Immobile. And well, one of them scored twice inside the first quarter of the game. And it's it's quite clear that this was Tammy's derby. Yeah, the we talked about um, how this was the sort of game, the timing of the season, the way he's played so far, where if he did something big in this game, he could really reach a new level within that club. Um, I don't think I was the only one to think that. I think it may have been written somewhere else as well. I think I saw earlier today. But um, I didn't think he'd do it quite like this. Like, but he really, really did it. <laughs> um, I didn't think he'd score within a minute, which was really important for him because, again, something else we talked about was that, you know, they, they were the tired team. You wouldn't think it, but they were the team that were tired out of the two. They played on Thursday and they just completely blitzed Lazio in the second half. And then um, and then it was just nothing really happened in the second half, to be honest. It wasn't, wasn't particularly interesting. Um, but that was the way Roma wanted it. Yeah, you assume that Lazio would come at them and at least at least get a goal back, at least make it a bit more interesting. But it never really looked like it was going to happen. No, it didn't. And I mean, to to have a goal scored in the first minute of a derby really, really sets the tempo for what is to come, Vito. And then the way it came about as well, it was kind of just bundled in. But Abraham's not going to care about that. And then he kind of showed that by getting a, a second, which was a nice, really, really classic striker's finish to get in at the back post on that cross from Karsdorp. And Roma were were more than good value for their win. Oh, certainly. The three goals set the foundations for that win. And uh, that was pretty much all they had to do. Uh, Abraham showed how clinical he is. And um, then Pellegrini scored with that delightful free kick. And uh, I think uh, the way they played in the first half, it was like that uh, they didn't really need to do much else in the second half. That being said, Abraham could have got his hat-trick, but I suppose that uh, that shot uh, could have been in better place. But uh, overall, still a fantastic win for Roma. The Giallo Rossi have bragging rights in Rome and uh, another positive result for Mourinho. Yeah, look, can we can we go into this now? <laughs> because Jose Mourinho, let's just say the the mind games started long before this game, and and they <laughs> began with the press conferences because Lazio seemed determined to not let Mourinho have the first word. Whether it was them or Sari, we'll never know because Roma scheduled their press conference for half past seven on Saturday night, and Lazio scheduled theirs for the same time. Roma then brought theirs forward to seven and Lazio then brought theirs forward to seven o'clock as well. So it had started long before the game kicked off. And then Mourinho 
took a photo on the team bus of himself smiling. But nobody knew about that photo veto until after the game when he posted it, along with a photo that he had taken after the game, saying, I I knew the results before it happened or something of the kind. And, <laughs> and the two photos of himself smiling. I thought it was glorious from the big man. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a classic Mourinho. Those kind of things, I think they're just part of the character he is and part of uh, the image he defines. Whether you love him or hate him, he's definitely someone that, you know, it's that expression, box office. He is box office. So whether you like his tactics or not, whether you like his personality or not, he is a talking point in Italian and world football. And, uh, yeah, this just adds to his image. Sure. I think he was, maybe not afterwards on Instagram, but during the game, I think he was out box officed, if you like, by Tammy Abraham. Even if you forget the two goals, the, the way that that guy conducted himself during the game, I've never seen anything like it. There, there was a point. There was a point in the first half where there um, was a pint. There was a pint in the first half. <laughs> I where, um, the pub, he, he had a pint in the first. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Roma got a free kick about like thirty-five yards out. It was just a flow into the box kind of free kick, and um, and he he like threw himself to the floor in celebration. Like he mm. sort of threw down to his feet and then leapt up in the air again, and he he did it four or five times, including working up the crowd and all that sort of stuff throughout the game. He did one right towards the end when he like I think he managed to kick it out for a throw in or something when there was about thirty seconds left, and as far as he was concerned, he scored a goal, and it it was just completely infectious. It's the sort of thing that I imagine if you're a Lazio fan or somebody who doesn't like Tammy Abraham, it'd be really annoying. You'd think that he's just like playing up and being all American or whatever. But um, I just thought the everything about what he's doing right now is so upbeat. That can only be a good thing, surely. Why have you had a pop at Americans there? I don't know. It just came out, you know what I mean? Like, over-animated, <laughs> that sort of thing. I've, I've had quite a difficult time with that North American continent, to be honest, in the last couple of weeks. But I didn't think there was any need for you to have a go there. <laughs> Yeah, it's an English thing. We, we we see them as over animated and dramatic, and that that's that's what he was doing during the game. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, the the whole Abraham at Roma thing is is just a great story, right? He's he's got fifteen goals this season, and there was a, a stat from Opta Paolo about that, which I'll pull up in a moment. But we've seen this since I think it was his first home game, wasn't it? Where he started singing along and and orchestrating the crowd at kickoff as they sang the the Roma hymn, but. The statistic about Abraham is that he's now scored 15 Serie A goals this season, equaling his best top-flight league total for a Chelsea in 2019-20. And since the beginning of this calendar year, only Robert Lewandowski has scored more league goals in Europe's top five leagues than Abraham has. Um, 12 to Abraham's nine in that same period of time. Now, that is an impressive record, whatever way you look at it. And... I think it's just been a joy to see the way he's he's conducted himself here in Italy and, and what he's been getting up to on the pitch and how he's really warmed to that club. Um, and he, he's worked his way back into the England squad as well, which which you've got to say full credit to him for doing. Fakai Tomori's not been as lucky, but I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. You and we did mention it briefly on the preview pod, but for, for those of our listeners who who aren't patrons and there are many maybe we'll we'll dip into that a little bit more as we go on but Vito as good as this win is for Roma it's a 
bitter blow for Lazio because they looked like they were moving into a position of control in pursuit of fifth place in Serie A and maybe to even push for sixth or for fourth rather. But now with Atalanta Roma winning, it's it's all shifted again. It's a big dent in the chances of qualifying for the Champions League and uh, things were already a bit of a stretch prior to this match. With a defeat like this, I think that just makes things worse for them and also it's a reflection that uh, in quite a few big games, Lazio have struggled this season. It's a bit similar to what the rivals Roma had last season when they had Paolo Fonseca, that uh, they would win against uh, smaller sides, but against the big boys, they had their struggles. Uh, For Lazio, even if we talk about this game specifically, I didn't think there was anything to suggest that uh, they were going to pull off a miraculous comeback. It looks like after the first half, they looked well defeated. And yeah, aside from a chance that I think Pedro took from distance, uh, I can't really recall many chances from Lazio that really stood out in my view. So yeah, back to the drawing board for Sari and the Bianco Celesti. We've had some great derby, derby images this season, haven't we? From the first with Sari celebrating with the Eagle and, and now this, I mean, absolute demolition from Roma. The third goal obviously came from Lorenzo Pellegrini. It was a great free kick, but can I throw out the argument that I think it should have been saved? Because Strakosha gets a hand to it and he's so close to the post that I'm convinced had he not been that close to the post, he would have kept a stronger hand and parried it away. But I think he was a little bit worried about crashing into it that he he almost weakened his arm and it, it just kind of flapped back because it came from a long way. He got across to it and his hand was fully behind it. So you and I don't, I don't see how he didn't keep it out, to be honest with you. I would... That didn't really cross my mind when I saw it. Maybe, maybe just because I was looking at it through the, the lens of it being a goal rather than what the keeper could have done. But I'd say maybe he could have kept it out rather than should have if you know what I mean like mm. I think I think there yeah I think he, he was close enough that he possibly could have got more on that um, I wouldn't call it an error but perhaps a, an Oblak or whatever would have kept that out because because he's better yes <laughs> there's my I, insight I just know <laughs> I think I think if Roy Keane watches that game he's fuming I think he's fuming <laughs> That Strakosh has not kept that one out, to be honest with you. And I, I think if you get that good of a hand on it, you should be stopping it. I, if he hadn't reached it, I wouldn't have commented on it. But the fact that he got across to it, I think his hand should have been stronger there, to be perfectly honest with you. But fine strike, nonetheless, from, from Lorenzo Pellegrini. Vito, at the top of the Serie A table, we've got Milan and they've got Daylight now. They, they won 1-0 away to Cagliari, taking full advantage of Inter's slip at home to Fiorentina. And I'm just becoming more and more convinced every time I watch Milan play, even when they don't play well, they get the job done. That seems to be the thing now. Inter had a similar patch last year where they weren't playing well, but they were getting these 1-0 wins and other low-scoring wins, but uh, they were getting the results... Consistently, they will string those results along, so that helped aid them in their title. Uh, in this case, uh, it's the Rossoneri this season. 
and they haven't looked particularly impressive in the second half of the season, but uh, they're still able to collect these results. And uh, in this case, you know, just one goal would do it. And uh, the particular goal from Ben Asser was a fantastic volley. Um, there were a wall of defenders and so forth, but still went through, had a good amount of power in it too. And uh, sometimes you just need that moment of brilliance to win you the game, even though the majority of the game hasn't been in your favour. It was a lovely move as well leading up to the goal. I thought I thought it was really nicely constructed and, and right out of the, the Vito Doria playbook, to be honest with you. But I do think there was a little bit of fortune because I don't reckon Giroud means for that ball to bounce up in the way that it did. But when it did, it's one of those where if a player hits that and skies it, no one really gives out because everybody recognizes when a ball sits up in front of you like that, you've just got to take a shot. And it doesn't matter what level of football you've ever played at. You've been in a position where a ball has sat up for you like that or for a teammate and you've hit it, made a mess of it, and no one really gives out because everybody knows, yeah, you've got to hit those. But you and the the technique from Benacer, like I, I I'm of the opinion that Benacer is both over and underrated. Um, in the same way that Olivier Giroud oddly is. But there's no doubting the technique that he's got, and he could just do that all day. The way he stroked it into the bottom corner on the volley was just gorgeous. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. I think there's there's something about that goal that feels better because it was away at a struggling team. When, when you get that sort of goal in the second half where Milan fans, as soon as it got to half-time, they'll be thinking, oh God, is this, is this one of these games? where we're just not going to find a way through. Um, and then you get a goal like that where, you know, it wasn't it wasn't obvious that there was going to be a goal. <laughs> and then suddenly it nestles in the bottom corner. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, that, that in, in that way, and that would have felt absolutely fantastic. I think he's he's such a... That's not something that I have it in my head that he can do. I, I really, really like Benazir, but not, not for that reason, <laughs> in the sense that he's just deeply consistent in midfield. But if he can do that more often... I saw him score this season and I think it was at Bologna and Milan were dreadful and I mean dreadful. I'm pretty sure they threw away a two-goal lead to be be 2-2 at one stage and they were awful and they ended up playing against nine men or something and they scored and Benacer got a late goal and it was, again, just edge of the box. I think Ibra teed him up and it was just, boom, it was gorgeous. I, I, I do like him technically. He's the type of player that... If you saw him playing five aside, you'd watch all day because he can just he can pass the ball, he can keep it, he can use his body quite well and intelligently too. So I do like him, but people, I don't know. When he first went to Milan, there was a lot of talk about him that I just I wasn't on board with. And he's one of those that, as happened with with Pirlo at the end of his career, he completes a ten yard pass and people are putting videos of it on the internet saying, "Look how good this is." And I think, well, no, that's that's the expectation for me from a central midfielder, but. Yeah, I'm I'm really channeling my my inner Roy Keane this weekend. I feel I wasn't I wasn't on last week. I've I've missed the opportunity to moan, so I'm just getting it all out. <laughs> so so you're taking aim at Pirlo. <laughs> yeah, aim for the top. Better ben for something he didn't do. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm going in. Messi's next at this rate. Let's let's see how how far I get. But um. I was momentarily worried, Vito, when when Davide Calabria went down because this was, what, a few hours or whatever, a few days after Di Lorenzo pulled up and 
is now going to miss the the Italy World Cup qualification playoff match, potentially matches. Um, and I don't really know why Calabria hasn't been taken into consideration anyway. But now that Di Lorenzo's out, surely Calabria is going to be the go-to guy for, for Roberto Mancini. Mancini's got to call him up. As far as I'm concerned, there's no excuses. He's arguably the best right-back in Serie A, or at least the best Italian right-back in the league. And um, he's been an important performer for AC Milan this season. He does his job defensively. He can contribute going forward as well. So I think uh, he needs to be in the squad. This is where sometimes I think where loyalties get in the way and it clouds people's judgment. I mean... Whenever I see this Calabria situation, I just think of Mancini and how he was uh, coach of Inter for two spells. And I thought, if that's on his mind, he shouldn't think that way. He's coaching the national team and that's it. But that being said, he's a Sampdoria legend as a player and he still picked uh, Genoa players. So, yeah, it's a very odd situation there. My only thing on Calabria would be... I certainly think he should be in it on ability. But also, I'd argue with these this particular game that Italy have got coming up, I think if ever there's a time where you want your starting eleven to be full of players who are in form and confident and playing in a good team, it's right now, surely. Like mm-hmm. this is this is all a like you've got to get it right on the day. And I think you you, you do you want those sort you don't want someone who is who's been very good in the past for Italy or whatever, but is in a bit of a dud patch. I think that's not going to work in this sort of environment. They, they've got to get it right on the day. Isn't that what Calabria is, though? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is so that's why point? he should. Right, sorry. Yeah. I thought you were making the, the point against Calabria. Right, okay. No, no, no. I think he should yeah. be in there. <laughs> um, Davide Zappacosta as well. I mean, he, he's not been playing in a great Atalanta team, but he's been one of the, the players who's been consistently decent for for Gasparini side this this season um particularly through the winter so i don't know it's a funny one because alessandro florenzi's in there vito and i guess that's someone you were hinting at when you suggested that he's he's leaning on the old favorites yeah well florenzi's one of those players that has been caught up by mancini for some time and you'd be picking him for the sake of familiarity he does have the odd uh, role at Milan where he can contribute occasionally, but he's not an established player in that team like Calabria is. So Mm. even if Florenzi can do a bit here and there, uh, like like Ewan alluded to earlier, you need players who are in form, who are playing well, and someone like Calabria who is playing well in the Serie A leaders, um, I don't understand why he would have been omitted in the first place. So I think um, Mancini's really got here, you know, got to just bite his tongue, put Calabria in. And I think if uh, Calabria plays against Macedonia and then potentially against Portugal and Turkey, I think he can play well in those games. We do, unfortunately, have to talk about another incident of racism. And not only that, but another incident of racism coming at Cagliari, where this thing has become almost an annual occurrence where a team goes away and has players racially abused by, by Cagliari fans. The only time it didn't happen really was during lockdown when there were no fans in, in the stadiums. But after the game, there were there were two Milan players, I believe, at least two, 
who were subjected to to monkey chance, you know, the usual. And this on the weekend where this game was supposed to be the the game against racism and uh, Serie A's Twitter accounts in, in all languages had their their profile photos set to to keep racism out and the pinned tweet was an anti-racist message and the, the header as well was another picture along those lines. But Ewan, I can't help but get the feeling that nothing's going to be done and all of that attempted good PR is just probably going to, I would say blow up in their face, but it probably won't even. It's just going to be forgotten about in two weeks' time again. I think all, all of that doing this, that and the other on social media in relation in relation to that it it makes all of us who are using social media and are already not racist it you know it makes us all feel warm and fuzzy that we you know feel like we're doing something and the same with um you know with uh manyan tweeted about it didn't he yeah and yeah. obviously he, he can do whatever he wants about it it's it's his thing to to do what he wants with but like you know we all see that tweet and we all like it we all go yeah that's you know we hate racism but like it keeps happening and players keep having to do these social media posts and we all pat the player on the back and ourselves on the back. But clearly the right people are not targeted by these campaigns. Like, so yeah. Something has to be done face-to-face with supporters groups and stuff because you know there's a lot of supporters who go to games who are not on social media. Sometimes it's <laughs> easy to forget that. There's a huge amount of fans at games. And it's not necessarily just fans that aren't on social media who are being racist. But there's a decent chance because there's these campaigns all the time and it still happens all the time. There has to be mm. another way to get through to these people. And I don't think changing profile pictures is going to do it. You can still do that. It's still useful in a way, but it's not going to solve the problem. No, it's absolutely not. It's not going to do anything. And I, I have absolutely no faith that Legacia will do anything to, to combat this because the fact that we've seen it so consistently in one place, like it, this happens everywhere. Like, I've heard racist things said at most Serie A stadiums that I've been to, but to the scale that it happens in Cagliari and, and with the, the regularity that it happens there, why haven't they just been hit with massive stadium closures? Because it always happens. And it was quite disheartening to see Joao Pedro, who, who's, who's in the Italy squad, come out and say, well, ah, they, they provoked the fans, didn't they? And I just thought... I know you're you're a Cagliari legend, and it's maybe a tricky position for you to call out your own fans. But for for fuck's sake, come on! If he is provoking the fans, that doesn't that's not fair. Like that's not a fair retribution. (laughs) You know what? Yeah, white players provoke fans all the time, and it's it's not. You know, it's that's what happens in football. It doesn't it doesn't excuse reacting in that manner he's got every right to if i don't even know if manyan or tamori no, were provoking I... the fans i've got no idea but if, if they were it's part of the game it happens all the time every single week and it's irrelevant to the racist abuse yeah, they're receiving right. it, and it doesn't deserve if, that in response <laughs> if we are going to make it uh well he did this and they did that i guarantee you the player didn't provoke the fan before the fan made the racist noise i guarantee yeah. that it's because it was the interest. same with Moise ken when, when Moise Ken went away to Calori and scored a goal, he came in for the abuse. And then he responded by by cupping his ears and standing there. As it's to say, yeah, come on, what, what are you going to do? But he didn't go out there with a big sign saying, abuse me, please. You, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a he stupid argument. He shouldn't have argument. to tiptoe around them. Like he, no. 
you know, fair enough, it might inflame the situation. But do you know what? If, if it does, it makes it talked about more. It, it edges yeah. you slightly closer to something actually changing. You shouldn't have to be, oh, I, oh, I shouldn't celebrate just in case they be racist again. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. Milan are now, going back to the football side of things, six points clear of Inter, which is quite astonishing considering how comfortable Inter have looked at times this season. And I mean, they were in control of the of the Scudetto until this weekend, really. It was in their hands, their own fate and destiny, but now it's not. And, and Vito, it was another game in which they looked to to really lack something in attack. It, it finished 1-1. They went one down against Fiorentina and it was a Denzel Dumfries header five minutes after Lucas Torreira's opener that leveled it. But Fiorentina had more shots despite having less of the ball and Inter just look, dare I say, a little bit toothless. Oh, they certainly did. But, um, you know, the times that Fiorentina had the ball, for me, they looked the more dangerous side with it. Uh, the passing combinations were excellent. It didn't matter wherever the players were on the pitch. They were able to just either spread out or position themselves well, well and keep the ball circulating. So I felt in the first half, Fiorentina should have gone in, you know, at least a goal or two ahead, maybe more. And then when Torreira scored, um, I thought it was a well-deserved goal. It was a nice move. Perhaps Barella should have been more aware of Torreira as well oh. for that part. But uh, I think that uh, the Viola really should have won this game. Um, I think Dumfries, he scored the goal. And for me, he was the best player for Inter. I thought he had a good game on that right flank there. But I think in general, you know, it shows again, even in open play without Brozovic, they, they lack something in midfield that sort of, ties everything together. Chalonoglu looked off and, uh, yeah, just up front, you know. I noticed Jack a lot had to be dropping to the midfield just to be that target man and hold the ball up. But uh, uh, he wasn't doing enough in the penalty area or making enough damage to really, you know, put Terracciano under serious pressure. The the Jacko case was interesting because he was dropping very deep and you could see his frustration when he kicked the ball, he was kicking the ball like someone who was like constantly annoyed at his teammates. As he was like, I shouldn't have to be back here. Take it and let me go up there. And it, it just, it really stood out when I was watching this game, how irritated he looked by things. And and the solution from the bench is, is Joaquin Correa, who's not a goal scorer. And then Felipe Caicedo comes on for, for stoppage time because he was once a, a stoppage time hero. But I, I wonder, Hewan, right? I, I can't remember... I said on um, the the specifics of how good he was in stoppage time for Lazio. I know he scored a lot of goals after the 90th minute, but was he always brought on after the 90th minute or or was he on the pitch for 20 minutes and then he got to warm up for it because when he came on in the 89th I just thought well no because he's not going to find his feet in time to to get a goal. I, I just don't know if Inzaghi himself has fallen victim to Caicedo's super sub reputation which he made him find that I just I can't work it out. In in my memory of it, he did used to come on. Um and like I say that is a vague memory. Um but I, I don't remember him starting regularly. <laughs> but like mm. He did genuinely come on and score these goals. So you know you can you can see the school of thought from Zay, but obviously when they brought him in, he as far as I'm aware, he wasn't 
meant to be injured when he arrived. He, he'd barely been playing at all for um, for Genoa. Genoa, and then it it kind of became clear that he wasn't fit, and that's why in that little patch in in um, in February and sort of the start of March, where they that's when they really needed him. You know, Correa's fit again now. That was when they really needed him, and he wasn't fit, and they couldn't throw him on at any point. And it it just feels like from from this point on, when the players are fit, I'm not. I'm not convinced he's going to do anything, to be honest. And it, it looks like a bit of a dud transfer. You, you could see the logic in January and Correa was out for another month or whatever. And they had all these hard games coming up, including the Champions League games and everything. But then he, he missed all of that, basically, because they had to get him right up to speed. And now I'm not sure what purpose he's going to serve. Have Inter blown at Vita? I think they have. Uh, the run that they've had in recent weeks uh, is not promising at all. And for me, this is really the crunch time. This is when the likes of Lautaro and Jekko uh, should be firing in the goals or even consider giving more playing time to Alexis Sanchez to add a lot more X factor because, you know, things are just not clicking at the moment. So, And then you look at um, AC Milan... They're winning when they're not playing well. And that's the thing, especially in Serie A. If you're still able to get as many results as possible without playing well, you're more than likely to win the title. And Inter, they're not getting results. and They're not playing particularly well. And they certainly haven't been clinical either. I'm very concerned, Ewan, about Nicolò Barella because he, he should have put Inter ahead. And he missed a big chance, as he tends to do, to be honest. His finishing is dreadful. Um, but then, almost from the immediate attack that Fiorentina had after his missed chance, he's the one who lost Herrera for that goal. And, and what you were saying earlier about you want Italy's players for this international break to be playing well in good teams so that they can solve these problems. But Barella is a huge player for Inter, and he's not playing well. Also in midfield, you've got Marco Verratti and, and PSG are... I mean, they're in the dumps at the moment. Um, so, of that midfield, it's only really Jorginho who's who's in form and playing for a team that are in decent form, but he's coming from a club where they've got their fair share of problems as well. And uh, on on Barella, but also on the wider point of Italy, it's it's concerning coming into this international break. I think it's been a concern that. Italy have to deal with a lot of out-of-form players and also to the number of injuries, especially in defence. Where the midfield's concerned, uh, that's the regular lineup: Barella, Jorginho, Verratti. Um, If uh, those three are not in the best form leading up to the qualifiers and then if they turn up to the qualifiers, they're not playing well, that's a major concern. Against North Macedonia, they might be able to get away with it, even if they scrap a win. But to, if uh, Italy have to face Portugal or Turkey, and you know they got their flaws too, but if Italy are either underprepared or those players aren't able to produce their best football, um, that's going to be very problematic for Italy. When Italy had that run in the Euro 2020 qualifiers and in the tournament itself, that midfield was key. Mm-hmm. And even if certain players weren't playing well. Mancini had a wealth of informed players that could come off the bench and do something. At the moment now, there are players that 
they still have the raw talent and they add their own characteristics to the team. But, um, yeah, in terms of form, um, it is concerning, especially if you're an Italy fan. Yeah, I mean, it was arguably the, the best midfield in, in Europe during the summer with with maybe Pedri being the only midfielder individually playing better than any of, of the the three Italians. And you could also probably add Locatelli into that when, when he played in, in Verratti's absence. But Vito, Napoli kept in the race with a 2-1 win over Udinese. They went 1-0 down to Gerard De Lofeo, but then Victor Ozzyman scored twice within 20 minutes of the second half, starting to to allow them to to keep on Milan's tails at least. This little patch Ozzyman's having now, I think it's come at the perfect time. Um, I was mentioning earlier about having good form towards the end of the season and for Ozzyman to have scored a brace against Verona and now get two goals against Udinese, I think it goes to show that in this little patch, it shows that he can do well when he's fully fit, but also... He's shown that he can step up for Napoli when it's necessary. And now is the time to step up. He's doing it. And uh, if he continues, um, that's where you can see that maybe Milan don't have things all wrapped up just yet. Napoli might be the challenger for the Scudetto now, especially with Inter dropping off. And that's the difference. You need good finishes. Uh, Lautaro and Dzeko aren't doing it for Inter, but Ozzyman at least in the last couple of rounds, he's doing it for Napoli. And I think that allows Spalletti and everybody else at the Partenopei to breathe a little bit easier. It's easy to forget that he suffered quite a serious injury this season, isn't it? Because he's, he just hasn't been affected by it. He's just kept on going since he's come back. And he's he's such, such a good player. Probably in, when fit, the most lethal number nine playing in Italy at the moment. I think he's very physically imposing and that makes it very hard. So he's got good pace for someone of his height and physique. He can hold up the ball and shrug off defenders. But it's once he gets that knack for, excuse me, getting to the right place in the right time and just putting the ball into the net, once that all comes along, it just uh, makes uh, things much harder for opposition defenders. And even the best ones will have trouble containing him. Well, we've got a, a real fight on our hands at the top of Serie A for the title race for the, maybe not for the Champions League, but maybe that will become a thing as well in the next couple of rounds, uh, certainly for the Europa League and, and against the relegation as well. But you and in Serie A Feminile, the title race looks to be getting a little bit more interesting. Now it's taking a bit of a step back because Juventus won over the weekend beating Napoli. While Roma and Milan drew, Sassuolo drew away at Empoli. Another good result for Empoli after they had ended Juventus's 54-match unbeaten run not so long ago. And it, it seems like the the title is going to be wrapped up in the next couple of weeks, or the next couple of rounds at least, while that fight for a third or second place and the final Champions League spot is going to go all the way down to the wire unless Sassuolo or unless Roma win away at Sassuolo next Saturday, and I'm going to be going to that one, and I can't wait already. But it was another decent weekend in, in Serie A Feminile. Yeah, it was decent in terms of, um, you know, a lot of goals, there's narratives everywhere. It is a shame that um, that Roma couldn't just just get that win of Emile. Anyway, it's a shame in terms of the title race, and it's not a shame in terms of the um, second place race. 
because, like I say, that is going to be really, really tight. I can't imagine a world where Roma managed to catch Juve now. It, there was a glimpse of it last weekend. You thought maybe, just maybe, if Juve hit some sort of rut, but that's clearly a very naive thought because they ruts don't exist to them. That's not a thing. The, that that loss to Empoli was the rut. They're, they're out of it now. That's yeah, done. well, they, they had the draw <laughs> against Fiorentina and the loss against yeah. Empoli, and that's as far as it goes for them. Um, Fiorentina, actually, while you mentioned them, they're weird, aren't mm. they? They're very weird. They're <laughs> odd, odd. So they, they put six past Elas Verona today on Sunday. They, they won 6-0, and Valentina Giacinti didn't score one of them. Yeah, I've seen the goals going in. I kept checking to see, to see if one was her. So I was thinking, surely she's going to sort of pop up at some point because she's not really hit the ground running there. But, mm. um, yeah, again, she didn't. Um, uh, Veronica, Veronica Boquette, yeah. uh, who joined at the same time. But um, all the rest was people that were already there who have been napping for a lot of the season. And then every now and then they go and knock six past somebody. It's they are an odd team, like a really odd team. I had to check at four, like you, because I w- I wasn't watching this game, but I was watching the the goals go in, and at four I had to think: Is Jacinti not playing? Because <laughs> what's happening here? But yeah. she started and went off, and I, I can't imagine she was too pleased. <laughs> it's ridiculous, given how what she's like as well. You know, with every goal, she would have been saying, oh, "Give it to me next time. Let me get. Let me get it." But. We, we do have to say that a Ukrainian referee, Katerina Monzul, was was in action. She was brought into Serie A Femenile this weekend. She got her first game, which was quite a nice touch. And she came out onto the pitch with the, the Ukrainian flag over her shoulders. And, I mean, there have been Ukrainian flags all around Italian football in the last few weeks. And it was nice to see this as a as a bit of a gesture from, from Calcio Femenile. Yeah, it's very nice as a gesture in the big picture sense but also if you think personally for for the referee I, I, I don't know entirely what her situation is like work-wise at the moment and stuff but you know at this level of football and with it being the women's game as well and the lack of exposure that has she genuinely might be struggling for work at the moment that if, mm. if she's been displaced or whatever um, so it'd be nice to see if she continued refereeing in the league until the end of the season and however long that goes on for. I don't know what the rules are in that sense because you tend to just have domestic refs, don't you? Um, mm. I don't know if they've said whether it's going to be ongoing. But... I think she's been signed for the rest of the season, <laughs> although I'm not, I'm not sure. A, I think that's what's happening. one-off gesture. Off you go. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. That, well, that, that, that's good then. It'd be nice if she can have consistently be, I guess, a beacon. You know, for the, all, all these little things, they might seem little, but to somebody in a really bad situation. They're not little, they're a big thing and they all add up and this is one of them. Absolutely right. Back in the men's game, Vito, Sampdoria-Venezia, Venezia-Sampdoria rather, was one of the games you and I talked about on the preview pod, tipping it as potentially decisive at that end of the table. Well, Samp went and got the job done with a 2-0 win. Yeah, it was an important win. Um, There were times where Sampdoria actually looked in patches, there was a little bit of that jumpolismo going on. But uh, I must say, though, um, as happy as I am with the win, we should also thank uh, the reserve goalkeeper of Venezia, Niki Maempa. Oh, one of the most shambolic performances you could ever see from a Serie A goalkeeper. He tried to be Manuel Neuer or some other ball-playing goalkeeper, and oh, Chicho Caputo lapped it up. 
So, <laughs> oof. Yeah. Chicho's going to pounce on opportunities like that, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, that was a well-taken chance. And uh, even the second goal, you know, that was a nice move as well. Um, but, yeah, from the rebound, Caputo capitalised. And uh, he, too, probably should have got a hat-trick as well. But uh, his shot in the second half had a bit too much power. But uh, um, a vital win. It gives some, some breathing space. And, yeah, aside from Caputo, uh, Sabiri and the kid that uh, you and Kevin and I talked about last week, that scored that fortuitous goal against Juve, um, he had a good game as well. He was involved in the build-up for the goal. So, um, yeah, maybe there's some hope of him and maybe actually staying at some. We'll see. It's as good as a win as that was for Samp, though, Ewan. It was a stinking day for Venezia. And there are some... Maybe cracks being exposed at the Pierluigi Pencil because Thomas Henry was sent off for, I think it was descent, wasn't it? Like quite stupidly in the 86th minute. Now, the score was already 2-0 to, to Samp and it had been since early on. And Henry got himself sent off. And as he left the pitch, Paolo Zanetti, well... I was going to say confronted him, but it was more than that, wasn't it? He, he tried to fight him. It, it was really weird. It, on the one that one way you can look at it and think, oh, you know, they're just quite animated or whatever. They're in a press row situation. But then you look at it and you think that's that's the coach with one of it. And it to me, it looked like the actions of a man who knows that his team are going down. And it was just it all got a bit much sort of thing because you know if you if you want to react like that in the dressing room, then you know, fair enough. That's probably very normal. But you've still got to maintain an outward image of, you know, we can still do this, etc. I know there was only five minutes left and they were looking crap at that point. But, you know, you, as, as the coach there, you've got to still hold on to that idea of it's football, anything can happen, weirder things have happened than us scoring two goals here and getting a point. And I think if you're a player on the pitch and you look over and you see them doing that, it's, you know, it, it's not going to give you good feelings. Is it? it's, it's not going to help. <laughs> and it no. really, really didn't help. It did have, a, a, I mean, immediately brought back memories of, wasn't it Delio Rossi who, I mean, tried to knock out Adam Jajic that time oh, because yeah. Jajic said some abhorrent things. Um, it did bring that back. Now, no punches were swung or thrown, but there was a, a quite an aggressive push and they went nose to nose. I think Zanetti was ready to to start swinging, to be honest. It was a remarkable thing to see uh, on especially this being the, the 12 30 game. Now, all games are, are televised, but the 12 30 game has its own specific TV slot. So a little bit of awareness. <laughs> a lot of people are watching you, and not only in Italy either. So I, I thought that was really poor, and I wouldn't be too surprised if, if Zanetti's in his final few days there at Venezia now, because, I mean, Venezia can go down, fair enough, but you, you can't go down trying to fight your players, as stupid as a red card as it was, but... Yeah, not a great look, to be to be honest. But elsewhere in the relegation fight, we had Genoa Vito picking up three huge points at home to Torino. And I don't think many people would have seen this coming, particularly not if I'd have told you that Genoa would have spent the best part of 70 minutes playing with just 10 men. Oh, I think that's the staggering part. They've had all these draws, something like, seven in a row 
and then Manolo Portanova, he scored the only goal of the game, and then it was Ostergaard, I think, got the red card. Look, it was a well-deserved red card, but yeah, just to defend the way and you know deal with all that um, pressure coming from Torino, they managed to hold on and get the win. And look, mathematically, they look like they're gonna go down, but uh, yeah, they might still have a chance. Well, I should say, in terms of momentum, they look like they're going down, but mathematically, there is that little glimmer of hope for them. But at this stage, it might be too little too late. But they've got something to brag about for now. Ewan, I can't be alone and think that there's no way Genoa go down now. I don't know why. <laughs> they're, they're staying up. Uh, no, I, st- I still think they got The only thing I thought they during it. the They Fenecia do it every game. year. They do it every year. They're doing it again just a little bit later. No, They're staying later. up. I, Genoa are not getting relegated. I had two thoughts about them. And weirdly, I was thinking about them towards the end of the Venezia game. I was thinking, I think Genoa are going to go down, but they're going to finish above Venezia. I think, I think they're done. Um, and then I was thinking, like to get all them draws and now a win, I feel like Blessing is probably he's doing something right. I can imagine them sticking with him in Serie B when they go down. I think there's... There's logic behind that. I don't think he was bought in as a firefighter sort of coach. He, he is genuinely trying to do something. Um, but I still think they're gone. Yeah, I think I think uh, I've even heard that even if uh, they do go down, Blessing will stay on and they'll stick with the, him for the project. But uh, yeah, again, it's a case of, you know, sometimes the other teams near them just... Uh, aren't uh, good enough. It seemed like Coyote were going through a good spell, but they look like they might be able to get roped in. And Venezia, they don't look like they're changing any momentum, and especially with not having Sergio Romero in goal. If uh, my empire is anything to go by, they're, they're on their way down because, oh, I'll say it again, that was a shocking display of goalkeeping <laughs> from him. That was shocking. Romero would not make those mistakes. And I'm not just saying that because Romero used to play for some. Romero, I mean, it's no comparison. Romero is just such a much better goalkeeper. And uh, mm. someone with his experience at the highest level uh, makes a difference to a team like Venezia that, you know, like I said in the earlier pods this season, are a team that's lacking in that Serie A experience or high-level high league experience. I forgot he was at Sam, actually. We've got a Romero fan club here. <laughs> I'm I've, I'm quite the opposite of a member of a Romero fan club. I, I think he's rubbish. But the fact that the fall-off between him and Venezia's next choice is, is as extreme as it is says a lot about the backup. Um, but I think you two are mad because Genoa are on 22 points, Venezia are on 22 points with a game fewer played, Cagliari are on 25 and they're in stinking form. They, they did their thing way too early this season. Genoa have been there, done a... They've got all the T-shirts. Genoa are staying up. Sorry, guys. I can't wait to play this back for you at the end of May <laughs> when we're looking forward to the, the to the next season's Derby de la Lanterna. Um, and th- there is a Derby at the beginning of May as well, and that is going to be tasty. And Genoa aren't going to lose before then, and they'll still be unbeaten after that, Vito. I'm sorry to break the news to you, but let's move away from the drop yeah, zone before Vito comes. <laughs> back. He doesn't lose derbies. I tried to move it away before you got in, but you were too quick to give you your credit. Um, we've got to talk about Atalanta because they, they scraped a 1-0 win away at Bologna, again without so many players. But Ewan, 
there's a story here which which isn't necessarily about Atalanta winning. It's it's Mustafa Cisse who scored the winning goal on his debut. He's 18 years old. And just to give a little bit of background on Cisse, four weeks ago, he was playing for a team of refugees in what is effectively Italy's eighth tier. He signed at the end of February. I think it was the 28th, maybe 27th. He played two matches for the Primavera, scored three goals, went into the first team setup. He came off the bench tonight for his debut and scored the winner. What an incredible story that is. Yeah, these these are the sort of stories where I moan all the time about how really I hate football and a lot of lot of stuff about it. But th- this is the sort of thing where there's a there's a purity to this and a human side to it that is really lovely. I think that's it's one thing that modern football still has going for it. There's not many sports where quite literally anyone can do it and get to the top regardless of your background. There's a lot of other sports, things like, you know, I'm throwing around generalisation now, but things like Formula One and tennis and stuff, mm. you, don't, you don't really get people come from nothing and get to the top of that. There's a there's a financial backing that you've got. That doesn't exist in football. And this sort of story is, is that amplified. You know, people who can come from less than nothing and then still find themselves in this situation. And regardless of what the rest of his career is, he'll always have that goal and he'll always have that winning goal. And, you know, hopefully it's, that's not the only one he ever gets. No, and the fact that Atalanta were willing to give him one of their, their non-EU spots suggests that they really like him, like really like him. So let's hope that this is just the first of, of many. It's a bit of a football manager story, isn't it? When you've got this this kid and just <laughs> throw him on because all your strikers are injured and you've not yeah. got any other options and, and your, your number nine is having a stinking season. Uh, and then he goes and gets the goal. What a great story. But in, in the other games, Vito, Empoli-Verona finished 1-1. Um, a disappointing result for Verona, but Empoli are continuing to prove what I say every week and that they're never going to win another football match. <laughs> they just seem to be limping over the line, Empoli. They did all they needed to do in the first half of the campaign and in the second half, they're not doing much else. The goal they did score was a lovely goal, though. Nice team move. Parisi with a through ball, Pinamonte with the back heel, and then Di Francesco finishing off the move. But again, that back heel from Pinamonte, that was delightful. Then Verona, oh my God, Simeone, he misses, he has a penalty save. Then it's got to be retaken and he hits the post. But then M- Matteo Cancellieri, he scored a lovely equalizer. That was a beautiful strike. You and Ample are on 33 points. They're 13th. They couldn't, could they? <laughs> well, apparently they're, they're who's going to get Genoa out of trouble. So, <laughs> so someone's got to be swapped with them. And, um, I I just I I can see Udinese winning a few more games this season. Um, I can see Samp Spezia winning a few more games. I can see Cagliari getting enough to overtake Empoli at Empoli's current rate. I think Genoa finish ahead of both Empoli and Cagliari this season. Gosh, so they're not. You think Genoa not even going to be seventeenth? They're going to be. <laughs> no, they're going to finish. They're going to be sixteenth at the lowest. Well, I don't know what Empoli are doing because there's there's some very good players in that squad, albeit young ones who aren't necessarily what you need if they do get properly dragged into this. But um, you know they're, they're all the likes of uh, Matteo Bitti and Aslani, and so they're all being linked with big teams. And um, almost regardless of what happens to Empoli, it looks like that's a squad that's going to get cherry picked. Obviously, they're going to lose Pinamonti mm. anyway. Um, she's going to get used as a 
pawn in the transfer by Inter. Um, but a lot of players are going to get gone from that team. So even if they don't go down this time, even if they do manage to stay up, I think they can have a tough go of it next year. Yeah, absolutely right. Are you on, on Friday night, the, the most fun team in Italy, Sassuolo beat Spezia 4-1, uh, just doing what they do, really. Yeah, I think we said that they're always, well, we, we've said that a million times they're always worth watching, but in terms of the Friday night, we said it's, you know, the Genoa Torino, stay clear of that. But if you've got the time, <laughs> stick Sassuolo and you might see some goals, and lo and behold, five. They never do all the goals, yes. they always concede, but they, they tend to do more than the other team. <laughs> Every every podcast, there's at least one moment where you'll just break and say something odd. But they never do all the goals. Only, only one <laughs> moment. Why, why are you the way you are? <laughs> <laughs> but Vito, we've got to give some love to Domenico Berardi. 100 goals in Serie A for a right winger playing in a mid-table side. It's, it's a decent record. Oh, it's a fantastic record. And it, um, without taking too much gloss off it, it just makes you wonder... If um, he didn't have those moments or seasons where the form dropped off a bit, because the start of his career was absolutely sensational. I mean, he—I think he scored 15 or 16 goals just in his first season, and he hadn't turned 20 yet. But uh, it was great that you know, even after Di Francesco left, and there were a few other coaches that went by, the Zerbi put him back on track. He's made his way into the Italy squad, played a few cameo roles at the Euros. And I think, yeah, he's another one of those uh, club bandiere, especially at a club like Sassuolo that's only been in Serie A for about a decade. They come from a very small town. He's remained loyal to them. He's been an integral part of the team. And, uh, you know, when you think of Sassuolo players, Berardi is usually the first one you think of. And uh, he's been a joy to watch. And I hope he continues that form. And I also hope he brings... Uh, that form into the international break as well because the Azzurri are really going to need it. He's got to start, doesn't he? Oh, for sure. Especially with Chiesa not being available. I think that right wing is his. And uh, without going too much into the tactics and all, I think for the sake of familiarity, at least for the North Macedonia game, maybe a bit risky against Portugal, but uh, I wouldn't object to having a front three of Berardi, Scamacca and Raspadori because at least they've got that familiarity at club yeah. level. At least they know how they play. Completely agree. I, I'd be fully on board with with starting with those three because they score goals. They they give teams problems irrespective of how good the team they're playing against is. Just ask Inter, Milan and Juventus this season. Sassuolo give you problems. Um, I'll be well up for that. Let's hope there is a Portugal game as well. We, we yeah, do need to hope. say that because I'm mm. convinced there's not going to be one uh, just because of how many people are talking about Portugal already and it's making me so uncomfortable. But I'll be wearing my, my green Italy shirt. I wore it in the Euros as a bit of a, an Irish Italy crossover, especially when they played England. <laughs> I'll be wearing it this week, hoping that it's a little bit of a Sassuolo in Italy crossover. So th- there's there's some hope for, for the Azzurri yet. Trust the Nero Verdi to, to get you over the line, Mancini, please. Um, we will be back during the international break for our patrons only. So if you do want to listen to any talk of what Italy get up to um, and how they inevitably break our hearts again in the next couple of weeks, head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. For the five-year patrons, we'll, we'll have a couple of podcasts on the Azzurri at some point. Um, 
but that'll do. We're into the international break now. Serie A is ready to, if it's not already on fire, it, it's ready to explode in, in the final eight rounds of the season after the break. And I, I cannot wait. But for now, let's just hope Italy can can book their place at, at the World Cup. Um, we will be back for you non-patrons after the international break. So we hope you have a lovely time. In the meanwhile, if you miss us, head to Patreon and, and do sign up and, and keep up with what we're getting up to. Yeah, that that's it. Ewan, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> gente che fa sospirare Roma, Roma, Roma Lassa se canta Da sta voce nasce un coro So centomila voci che hai fatto innamorare Jose Mourinho, the man who stole the show You're the special one and you're dynamo Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jose Mourinho, you're special